All right. Good afternoon from Free Money Free. We are back podcasting here this week, talking again about Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Two accounts of what we would say are of a miraculous nature the healing of Aeneas in Acts 9, 32 to 35, and then Dorcas being restored to life in Acts 9, 36 to 43. So, certainly some interesting passages. Jim, I would love to hear how God was working on your heart as you think about these two passages from yesterday. Uh, now that you've had 24 hours to chew on it, or 24 hours plus to chew on it, what's what's uh, what's God been putting on your heart? Yeah, you know, I really liked um, the part that you brought out from the text yesterday about the healing of, of how do you say the first guy's name? Aeneas. I don't Aeneas, know. thanks. Or you Aeneas. Can, if you want to say something else, you can. No, Aeneas is great. I love it. Um, where it says that they returned, or that they turned to the Lord in 35. And then in um, says the same thing about Dorcas forty two right? yeah forty two yeah uh, may become known throughout all Joppa that many believed in the Lord like to talk about like that is that is the ultimate reason for healings right is to glorify give testimony to the power of God and that people would believe in Jesus and I don't know that we talk about that enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we talk, I mean, a lot of times we pray for healing and rightfully so because we have loved ones that we would like to see healed and, um, and yet it, it did make me think, but there is a bigger purpose. There is an eternal purpose, which is to display the power of God right. through the work. And so that other people would see that and come to believe in the God who did the healing of that person. Right. And so it's like healing for healing is good, but there is a better too. Right. And that's and that would be that better. And so just in thinking in that way, like I don't think we talk about that very much. Mm-hmm. And so to bring that out and, and to talk about that, I think it's good for us to think through that like, you know, even thinking about people like in the future that, you know, I'll be praying for for healing. I don't think I pray very often and God perform this healing so that your name would be magnified in the work and people would come to believe in Jesus because of it. Right. I just don't do that. Right. Um, I think I need to start doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth asking to what end are we praying for people to be healed? Um, now certainly I think there is an element where God cares for hurting people. Absolutely. And that, um, just even praying that they, that a healing would alleviate their, their hurting and their suffering. Like, I think that's an appropriate prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. Praying that God's kingdom would come now so they wouldn't experience that suffering. I think that's okay. But again, I would just say to what end are we really praying in the end for someone's healing? I, I, I think if we're honest, sometimes we're denying that death is going to happen. Um, mm. And so it's almost like we think, well, if we can if we can punt that down the road, it'll just never come around. Um, but that's just not true, right? Like, I mean, again, I, I was, I, and I've thought about this with Lazarus too. I mean, both Lazarus and Dorcas, and for that matter, Jairus' daughter, raised yep. from the dead, and yet they die again. Yep. I mean, there, I don't think there's any reason to believe that Lazarus is still walking around on the earth or that Jairus's daughter is or that Dorcas is. Um, and so to what end are we praying for healing? Are we just prolonging the inevitable that a person doesn't die? Or do we have biblical goals in mind for that prayer? Which, right. again, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with just praying for healing just to alleviate suffering. So that's okay too. Um, but I think the, the ultimate purpose of why we pray for someone's healing is that God might draw attention to his greatness 
and that we might be able to advance the gospel through it. So I think there's, there's definitely an element where I, I don't know that we always have a biblical theology like real played out in our heads as to why we pray for healing. I think a passage like this does force us to think through like, okay, why are we really praying for this? <laughs> and obviously we can think of specific examples of people we're praying for. My, for me, it's my son. Um, but why, why am I praying for this is the question. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to be too introspective here to the point that we're overthinking things and, you know, well, I'm not going to pray for this. You know, I, you know, I think it's fine to pray that God just alleviate his suffering. But I think to also keep in mind that the greater goal is that the gospel would be highlighted and God would be glorified. I think right. that's helpful to think that way. Right. I mean, how, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how has that spoken into your guys' suffering with, with Dawson? Has it changed the way you prayed? Or Because, I mean, obviously we've been praying a lot for you guys. I don't think I've ever sat there and said, Man, God healed Dawson so that the doctors at Children's or whoever else is around him would see Jesus through it. I yeah. mean, how is it? I mean, you're living in this. How has this affected you? Um, well, I would say one thing, like eternity has been the game changer for me to just think through like what God's doing in Dawson. If if eternity is real, which I think it is, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. I think we have, we have every reason to believe that it is true. Then, I mean, the the truth is, like, whether Dawson's alive for 12 years or 80 years, in the grand scheme of eternity, is not as big of a deal. Like, and I don't say that to, like, downplay, like, oh, this isn't a big deal, or it wouldn't be hard, or, you know, boy, I wish, you know, who cares? Like, he's getting, you know, eternity. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. Like, it's super hard. Um, and it would grieve me greatly if the Lord took him early. Um, but I do think if there is an eternity, that does change our perspective on things. Like, and that's why... I think this passage yesterday was helpful just to remind me that the greater goal is our spiritual health. Like, I think, I don't think you can say God's ultimate goal here was healing Aeneas or raising Dorcas from the dead, or again, he failed because eventually they died. Um, his greater goal was to draw attention to the truthfulness of the gospel. And so, as we thought through with our, our son, like, you know, with Dawson, I think, you know, I said this yesterday, the fact that he's spiritually healthy, which I think he is, like, I mean, by all, by all of our estimation, he seems like he's not only a follower of Christ, but passionately so, then in the end, that's far more important than his physical healing. I, I would rather have that situation than the opposite. The opposite would be the worst, um, that we would have a physically healthy kid who's spiritually sick. Um, that would That would be far worse. And so, you know, I think this passage is speaking to that same idea that the greater thing, the greater work is not that someone would be physically healed. The greater work is they would be spiritually healed. Right. Um, and again, I think that's why that Mark 2 passage is really interesting where Jesus says, I'm going to tell this guy to get up, take his mat and walk. But the reason I'm doing that is so that you may know I have authority to forgive sins. Right. Because he's saying that, that I think the Mark 2 lesson there is that's the greater work. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do the lesser work of making him walk, because the harder work of seeing a person spiritually healed, I'm going to do also. And you'll know mm -hmm. when I cause him to walk that I have that power. Right. And so I guess I guess what I'm getting at is like I do think a passage like this flips on its head what the priority is and does cause us to rethink like, you know, how, I, I think it should cause us to rethink like how do we pray about someone's healing? Like why are we praying for this? And, and a perfectly legitimate reason is to pray that their suffering would be lessened. Right. But an even greater reason would be to pray that the gospel would be glorified and that we would have a better understanding of who God is and God would be magnified. Right. And the gospel would spread and people would believe. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what stood out to you uh, two going things, through this passage? Two things. I think one, uh, you know, um, if God is capable of doing the impossible, 
which he is, then, you know, I think what I said yesterday is, is really, you know, the wrestling in my heart, where else am I going to go? Mm. In times of trouble, like who else am I going to turn to? Like what, what else or who else do I think I can run to that would be more satisfying than running to one who can do the impossible? I think, I think there's just a sense here that, yeah, God doesn't always, you know, he's not a genie. Like we don't rub the lamp and ask for three wishes and he grants our wishes because actually he's too kind to do that. We would ask for really dumb things and we would ask for short-sighted things. We don't have an eternal perspective. Um, not to read too much into like genie stories here, but like whenever the genie comes, like people always ask for stuff that ends up hurting them in the end mm-hmm. in those stories. Like, right. nah, I, I know right. they're mythical, but like it, it, I think that rings true to how it would work, right? Like right. we would ask for dumb stuff. Um, so God is not a genie um, and he doesn't always do things the way that we would want, but he is the only one who's capable of doing the impossible. And so, and because he died on the cross and he cares and because he's, has this power because he's good, I think there is a, a resigning here to just saying, you know what, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it. I don't necessarily agree given my limited perspective. This doesn't seem like how I would want it to transpire, but I'm going to give this to you. And so I think that was helpful just to realize like, if, if God wanted to, he could heal my son. If God wanted to, he could heal someone else in the church who's sick. Um, and in one sense, I think he does want to, and he will, right? Like when Christ returns, that that will happen. And so I, I don't want to say like God doesn't want to do that, but he has a greater purpose, which is to help us be spiritually healthy as possible. And so I think there is a bit of a resigning ourselves to saying, you know what? I, I don't know what God's doing here. I know that he has the power to do this if he thought it was best. Right. And I know that he's good enough that he would want to, like in the sense that... Um, like I'm, I'm making a distinction here between what he would want and his ultimate want, right? Like I, I think he does want for my son, for example, to be healed, and eventually he will. But right now he has a greater want, um, and that greater want is that we would grow spiritually and that he would be glorified. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think that's that's some of what I've been wrestling through. I think the other thing that stuck out to me is. You know, I, I don't think I've ever read this passage and thought about Dorcas and how she was described. And, um, or, you know, maybe it'd be cooler if we just called her Tabitha since that's her Greek name and we wouldn't feel weird saying Dorcas. But, like, I kind of like saying Dorcas anyway. So I I love that she's described as a woman full of good works and acts of charity. And then the scene where the widows are holding up the tunics is pretty powerful to me. Um, And and I don't think I've ever noticed that before when I've read this passage. Just that here they are weeping and holding up their tunics because she was someone who actually cared for them. And so I think in the, midst, in the midst of this kind of miraculous passage, there is just this reminder of, hey, here's what it looks like to be a faithful, ordinary Christian. Um, love people. Serve them. Um, you know, care for their physical needs and, and presumably care for their spiritual needs as well. There's something that's beautiful about that and that we shouldn't downplay. I think Luke kind of... Like, he, he throws this in, and at first glance, when you read it, because of the miraculous, you don't really notice it. But you realize, like, well, he did that for a reason. Like, because I think he's wanting to encourage us. This is what faithful, ordinary Christianity looks like. And so that's, right. Right. I think that's encouraging. Right. Yeah, to, to your first point, you know, I do think that, like, when we do see God do something miraculous, that we do make sure to tell people to say, hey, we want to give God all the glory for what he has done. This was done by the power of God. We want to testify 
to his goodness, to his grace, to what he has done, what nobody else, what that nobody else can do. Right. Like, I think that's a good reminder to say, Hey, when we do see God do these things, let's make sure we give credit where credit is due. Right. Let's make sure we give glory to him and let people know that, right. That's a testimony that we are able to give to a lost world to say, Hey, this is what God has the power to do. And I, I think it's okay too, to say like, when God works through ordinary means to be able to give credit to him as well. In other words, like if let's say there's a person who has a a brain tumor and uh, they go in and the scan shows that they have a brain tumor. And then the next time they go in the scan, the the brain tumor is just gone. It's, it's a miracle, right? Like God has acted outside of the normal means of, of created order outside of its normal properties. Well, we would rightly say that was a work of God. Right, but if God chooses to heal through doctors' hands, meaning like uh, you know a, a, a treatment of radiation or chemotherapy or surgery gets rid of the tumor, like well, that's not any less of a work of God either. Like, and so I think what I'm saying is sometimes we downplay the activity of God in daily life as if only the miraculous is the, at, from the hand of God, rather than God working through ordinary means. Right, um, so. I I, th- I think what I would say is like we have to be quick to realize like that he's working even in in quote unquote ordinary ways too. That is mm. also the way God works. In fact, that's normally the way that he works. Right. And to be able to say to that too, that also is from the hand of God. Right. Right. So you know we could say, you know, let's let's say that there's a wild conversion story where one of our kids, you know, I don't know, miraculously comes to know Christ in some weird way. A, a, I could, I could give a strange example. I guess, you know, I'll just say a hippo talks to them and they come to know Christ. We say, oh, the work of God. Well, that's true. That would be a work of God if a hippo talked and they came to know Christ. But if they come to know Christ through us parenting and pointing them to Christ over time and growing up in the church and being around other people pointing them to Christ, that is no less the work of God. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, right. I, I don't want to just get in this place where we say, well, only when God does the mm. miraculous, that's only the work mm. of God. God often works, in fact, most of the time, Almost all the time, he works through ordinary means to accomplish his purposes, and that is just as much of work of God as well. Right, because if we believe that God is the source of all wisdom, um, the wisdom that has been revealed to us has come from the source, which is him. So the Every wisdom, good and perfect gift is from above. Right, so the wisdom of whether it be chemotherapy, you know, or some sort of invasive surgery where, you know, they can use little lasers or whatever to do whatever they need to do. Yeah. That all that technology, all of that, all of that has been given to us by God and to recognize that, hey, the only reason we are able to do this is because God's revealed to us the way in which we can do these things exactly. and to give glory to him and to be thankful for those things that he has revealed to us. Right. And I think that's where, like, we we sometimes fail to see the hand of God is working in ordinary, everyday circumstances. Um, right. And I think that's something we have to retrain our minds on, too. I've been reading this book on prayer, and one of the things that the author said that's just challenged me and, and made me think, he, he, he challenged, like, that sometimes we pray for miraculous things to the exclusion of ordinary things. And so the example he gave is, like, we pray that God would miraculously save the entire country of Pakistan. He said, let's kind of a strange way to pray. Wouldn't it be better to pray that God would send out laborers to the harvest field, which is what he tells us how to pray, like an ordinary Mm. mean, or pray, God, am I supposed to go to Pakistan? Like, Mm. instead of thinking like, 
God do this miraculous work, like why don't we pray that God would work in an ordinary means, how he usually works, to accomplish what is the same task, which is right. the Pakistan's reach. Like, And, you know, I've, I've wrestled, I think it's okay to pray for the miraculous, provided that you're not praying just for signs and wonders. Like, right. you know, Jesus clearly warns against that. Like, if you're just wanting to see a magic trick, like, that's that's not healthy. That's not That's not wise. Like, but, like... I think it's okay to pray for those sons and wonders, but let's also not neglect to pray that God works through ordinary means. Like right. in, in that example, like God raise up labors to go because right. that's the way you've told us to pray. Right. Now for all of our podcast listeners are probably wondering what book on prayer are you reading right now, Ryan? I can't even remember the title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it called? I can't remember. Um, it's a book that my mom gave me for Christmas. So I, I can't remember uh all right, we'll I'll come back, back to that. We'll come back I'll to that back next to week. And I, I'm also hesitant to, even if I did remember, I'd be hesitant to say because I haven't read through it all and I don't know if there's anything crazy. Oh. <laughs> in it. But I'm You're honestly, still in process. I honestly can't remember what it is right now, so I'm not just trying to deflect. I'll, I'll let you know at the end. I can give all you right. a book review later on in another podcast. There we go. There we go. So let, let me ask a follow-up question to what we've been talking about here. Okay. Okay, so in the book of Acts, you see stuff like this happening. You see Paul, his handkerchief, um, I think Paul's the handkerchief and Peter's the shadow, if I remember correctly. You see these miraculous works of God. Right. Okay. Right, right. Why don't we see stuff like that more often now? Wow. What? I mean, if, if I were to do a quick survey of people in our church, the amount of people that have been involved in a miraculous healing like this, right, or the amount of people that have seen someone raised from the dead like this, I would guess is probably zero. Um, Although I don't know that for sure. Maybe there's been someone who has. Um, and again, I'm giving the traditional sense of the word miracle here, like meaning God truly acting outside of his created order. Right. Um, I, I understand that, you know, there, there's some people who say, well, there's miracles in everyday life, like a childbirth is a miracle. And I sure. understand what we're saying. Um, but at the same time, I would say, well, that's still God working within his normal created order, right? Right. Um, so I'm, I'm talking about, the definition of miracle I'm giving here, which is God acting outside the normal created order. I don't think that anybody I know of has experienced these types of things. Right. So my question is, why? Why do you think that is? Well, I'll give you the traditional answer that I've always kind of grown up hearing, and okay. we can discuss that one. I mean, the, the, the traditional answer I usually hear is the miracles were performed specifically by the apostles during the time of the growth and expansion of the church, that this was a special dispensation that was given to the apostles to show the authority of Christ and to build the church in this early stages. Because what you see in Acts, it is mainly the apostles that do the healing. Um, and, and so that wasn't like, and also the idea that the book of Acts is a book that covers decades of time. And sometimes when we compress the book together, we think these miracles were just happening left and right all the time. Yep. The reality is, is that you, when you spread out the book of Acts, what you're going to see now, granted the miracles are still there, but it's not quite as probably rapid fire as we think it is when we're just reading the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is an overview of decades of time. Agreed. And so that's what I have always grown up hearing. Right, so I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Now, it sounds like you have a second theory. Do you have a second theory? or Because you, you worded it like you have another possible theory. Well, I mean, we can go into all sorts of the weeds in this, right? Like, do we just not believe? Okay. Like, do we just not believe that God can really do 
miraculous things. Yeah. You know, you know, are we so civilized in our modern day that we just think that, well, you know, the revealed wisdom that we've been given is the thing that's going to bring healing. And do we really think that God can really do these big things? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, where, where do you see a bunch of religious healings happen? Like Benny Hinn and all those kind of, but are those off, healings? off the rails? Probably not. I don't think so. Um, but you know, and so sometimes like, well, we don't want to be associated with, that crowd, uh-huh, sure. you know, and so I do. So I, sometimes I do wonder if that's true. Um, you know, are we so civilized in our day that we just don't look for that or expect that or believe that, mm-hmm. you know, you hear about places like in Africa where spiritualism is so much more active, both for good and bad for good and bad. Mm-hmm. And is that where those type of things take place more? I mean, I've heard all these theories. I don't know if I really, where I really land on all those things. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So l- let me speak to each of those and I'll just give my thoughts. Not that I have like a concrete here I stand position, but um, I think as it relates to the first point that there was something unique going on with the apostles and and God authenticating their ministry and authenticating right. the gospel message. I think there probably is some truth to that. Um Certainly, I think you'd have to say after the book of Acts, like I'm trying to think if there's a lot of places. Now, there's not as much narrative after the book of Acts either, but I'm trying to think if there's a lot of times where we could think of that afterwards. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I think there's more of a concentration for sure in the book of Acts, in part because the, the gospel is in breaking for the first time and that God is authenticating the messengers, the apostles, but also the message. Um you know, any, any miraculous work that I hear of now tends to be from missionaries who are operating on the the forefront where there's little gospel witness, sometimes no printed Bible. Much uh, like an Acts scenario. Right. And so you do wonder if there's some of that, right? That the gospel, um, when it was first in-breaking, or even now when it's still breaking into new territory, that God will authenticate it with signs and wonders. So I, I think there maybe is something to that theory um, that... That, that is part of what's going on. Like even I was thinking about last night, this actually came up in our group and in our gospel community group. And we were talking about Luke 16, where the rich man and Lazarus and, you know, the rich man's asking to send people back. So his relatives will believe. And, and Abraham said something uh, in there. Uh, so the rich man says, no father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. So, you know, I'm kind of telling this story in a very compressed way, but basically the rich man regrets that he's, He's separated from God in hell, and he's asking, send someone back to my relatives so they'll know. And he's saying, you know, send back, send back Lazarus, and, and they'll listen to him. And Abraham's like, no, they won't listen to him. And he's like, well, send back someone from the dead, they'll repent. And then Abraham says this, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Like, and so th- there is this sense which the Word of God is sufficient enough to right. point people to the hope of Christ right. to say, if they won't believe this, it won't matter if they do hear miracles. Right. So I think... I think there is some truthfulness to that. Um, but at the same time, like I do hear of these mission things that are ongoing now, and maybe some of that does speak to they don't have access to the Word of God, and that's why God's authenticating. I, but I, I, I'm not willing to dismiss entirely your second theory either, um, that we just, have, we just don't believe that God could actually do these things. Right. And, and because there is a sense where you ask and you don't receive because you don't believe, right? That's right. in the New Testament too. And so I, I do wonder... If there's some of that, right? 
Now, obviously, oh man, there's just ditches on every side here. Like there's a, there's a seminary that I know of in California where their students will, they have like an ambulance chasing ministry where they'll, you know, follow ambulances and then pray for healing or they'll go to cemeteries and try to raise people from the dead. And I just think, well, that, that doesn't seem to be what's going on here right. in the book of Acts. Like in the book of Acts, it's A, a work of God. Right. And even even Peter and, and Paul, we'd have to say that their miracles were, as you said, they were like we read it in a compressed way, but they're, it's not like they're performing miracles all the time. Um, and right. an example I would actually give is from this passage. Like if they were doing this all the time, then the residents of Lydda and Sharon would have said, oh, we've seen this before. Like they do this all the time. This is just right. what happens. Like, but no, all of them are like, whoa, what's going on? And they turn to the Lord, right? So I think we'd have to say even, even the miracles that we see in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, yeah, there's quite a few, right? But if you think right. about how much history is covered there and how much time period is, you'd still have to say they're few and far between. That miracles by definition are rare and they're a unique work of God outside of his normal working. Right. So yeah, I, I do think maybe there's an element where we don't have, where we've, you know, we've lost our, our belief that God could do those things. But I probably lean to the first theory more than the second, although I don't want to discount the second. I guess that's what right. I'm saying. I mean, even Manny and I have had this discussion where, um, you know, we had a uh, traumatic birth with Joel and the, he was really pale when he came out and he was just like not crying. He was just laying there and they took some x-rays. They knew something was wrong, but didn't know what took x-rays of him. And this, the heart specialist came in our room and said he he has no left side of his heart. His heart's right. underdeveloped, you know, telling us that he's probably not going to live, you know. And uh, then so he rushes to the hospital and they're like, no, it's a kinked aorta. His heart is fine. No, it wasn't that. It was his he hemorrhaged in his adrenal glands. But there's very little evidence of that there now, but we think that's what it is. And so they kept trying to explain what was happening sure. to him. And Mandy's like, well, I think God healed his heart and made him whole. And, you know, God did this miracle. I'm like, yeah, but the doctors described all of this, like rationalized. No, it wasn't this. And it was this and that or the other. But none of their explanations really fit all that well. Sure. And so that's like, so am I lacking in believing that God actually did a miracle in his life, you know? And so we have this, we have this discussion a lot between the two of us where she's more on the, I think God did something supernatural. And I'm more like, no science explained it all to us. What was going on in his body? And so yeah, those like are legitimate questions, hmm? like I, so I can feel this tension yeah. here of what's happening. And what I guess what I would argue to your situation based on what I was saying earlier is either way it was God. Right, like right. even if it was God working through medical intervention of doctors, like right. that's still God at work. Like, right. And so, at some level, it doesn't like God is still the one who did it either way. Like, right. But I, I understand what you're wrestling with too. Like, you're you're wondering, like, the question you're asking out loud is like, can God still do that? Did He still do that with right. your son? And and the answer is probably we don't know for sure. But I right. think what we can say with confidence, it was God in the end. Whether right. he works through the ordinary or the miraculous, it's still God at work, and he should get glorified either way. Right. Like the fact that Joel's here, like that's the work of God. Right. Um, whether it be of the miraculous nature or the more ordinary means that he intervenes, I don't know. Right. Um, but I think, yeah. So yeah, I hear what you're wrestling with there, though. Like, And, and do those types of things happen maybe more than we know? Probably. Like, But... So I don't want to discount that God can still do that today, because I think he can. I right. think maybe sometimes he does. Right. But I think there's reasons why maybe we don't experience as much either. So, right. 
All right, one last question, and we're running out of time. I don't even know if we have time for this question, but let's ask it. Uh, a loyal podcast listener asked us this question. Um, someone tracked us down earlier today and asked us if, uh, by the way, I don't know how many loyal podcast listeners we have, um, but Carrie sits in the room every week with us producing, and she asked this question. Sorry, Carrie, if I, I just don't want to make it sound like we have some loyal following, because I don't know if we do. Maybe five people listen to us all week, but um, Carrie listens, and so the question she asked, I think it's a really good question, is... Are miracles possible? Is it possible someone could perform a miracle and it not be from God? And so kind of the, the line of thinking we had here was like the, the magicians in, in Exodus, right? Um, or we were having a conversation before this podcast started about, I think you said First Timothy or maybe Second Timothy. About, uh, no, Second Thessalonians. Oh, Second Thessalonians about a lawless one will come and perform false signs and wonders. Right, the man of lawlessness. Yeah, and he'll perform false signs and wonders. Talking about end times things. Yeah. Right. So the question is, is it possible that a miracle could take place and it wasn't really God doing it? I think that's the question that we're asking. Right. Well, it seems like they can do something. I think we can assume that they don't do nothing like these whatever evil powers, right? I mean, because it does say, this is Second Thessalonians uh, 2.9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan and with all powers and false signs and wonders. And I think that false is a key word, right? right. False signs and wonders. Um, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. So I think that's a key word too, deception, right? Yep. Like, is that so? And with all wicked deception, is that connected to the to the powers and false signs? Like, is it a bait and switch? Is it, you know, an illusionist type thing? You know, is it, it does, I mean, it does say with all power. Mm. So it does talk about a power there. Um, what was that we were reading in Revelation 2, right? Yeah, you, you found something in Revelation, maybe 13, I want to say. I could, I could be wrong about that. I'm gonna, um, let's see, I had it And here. it just talked about... Yeah, Re- Revelation 13, 14. Yeah. Where yeah, it talks 14, about the second beast. Go to 13, 13 first, yeah. Right, it, it, this, the second beast, who is the it, performs mm-hmm. great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. So I think that's an interesting phrase, the signs which it is allowed to work. Well, who right. allowed them to work it? God, I think we'd say, right? Would it, would it be God? I don't think it would be the first beast. I don't think that... Um, yeah, I haven't thought that... I haven't studied that in depth, but my first right? instinct is right? it's God who loved right? that. But, right. I, I, but it could be the first beast. I don't know. You know, so I do think that you can see some things here that makes it sound... I, I don't know. I mean, miracles and signs and wonders, you know, are we using the same language there? Are we talking different things? Yeah, and so then the question, too, in that Second Thessalonians passage is, what is a false sign and wonder? Right. Um, does it mean that it was an actual sign and wonder that was accomplished for bad reasons, and therefore it was false? Or does it mean it was just had the appearance of being miraculous, but wasn't actually miraculous? Right. I mean, I wonder in, in uh, first, or not, uh, Ephesians 6, right, in uh, the spiritual warfare, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And that sounds like something. That's not nothing. So it does sound like there has to be, there has to be some sort of 
power, but where does all power come from? Right. I mean, all power comes from God. Right. And so the reality is, is whatever powers they have, they're not like, it's not their own power source that they've come up with. What they've been given has been given to them by God and that they can't, they can't do anything against that. Right. I mean, whatever they have has been given by God because God is the one who's ultimately control over everything. It's not like these devils are running around with, um, you know, with all of these rogue powers that they've been given. No, it's been given by God. God's in control of them all. Yeah. So it's not like, I don't think we should fear them. You know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't think there's this fear, but I do think that there is these warnings in scripture to say that they are granted these powers. So be on alert and don't fall for them. Yeah. So just going back to Exodus, I think it's possible that there could be a dark spiritual power at work that could replicate what appears to be miraculous work. Now, someone has pointed out before that what Moses does in the end, he's able to take away those things and be helpful, whereas what the magicians do is actually in the end destructive to the people. Um, but mm. Moses is able by his hand to take away those things. Right. So I, I, we shouldn't discount that there is a dark spiritual force in the world that right. can do powerful things that's allowed to by God, ultimately, I think we would say. Um, but I think the, the question is to what end, right? Like a, a true miracle work of God is pointing to Christ and pointing to the hope of the gospel and giving glory to God, whereas the and, dark spiritual forces are pointing away from Christ, I right, would imagine. Right, and I think we could add that I would say part of the miracles of what Jesus was doing is to restore right. the effects of the fall. You're right, right, right. You know, that the fall right. brought Satan this comes to death steal, kill, and, destroy, and, death and destruction, mm-hmm. and the coming of Jesus and doing these miracles say, look, I am going to restore the created order, and I'm going to restore all that is broken, I'm going to make whole. I'm going to make new. Behold, I'm making all things new. Yeah. Like what he's saying at Revelation, what he does ultimately at the end, he's given us little pictures here in these miracles of restoring life and reversing the effects of the fall. So in that way, I would say, can they do signs and wonders? Yeah, they can probably do flashy things, but can they do miracles? No, because miracles go against what... Or they're restoring the created order as, the, as it was supposed right. to be before the fall. Right. They don't want to restore the created order. They want to destroy it. Yeah. So bring fire down from heaven, if that's what Revelation says. Right. That's not a restoring act. That's a that's a destroying act. Yeah, that's where I'd probably tend to land to. I, I know we don't have time to flesh that out. And so I, there might even be a distinction between miracles and magic there, like right. signs and wonders that are miraculous and signs and wonders that are just magical. Like, right. And and I you know I don't know if that's just um, semantics. I don't know, but I, I think I think you're maybe hitting on the key there. Is that it seems like a miraculous work of God is restoring the created order and drawing attention to Christ and bringing glory to God. Whereas the dark spiritual powers are not restoring, they're often destroying, not restoring, destroying instead, and they're not drawing attention to Christ or giving glory to God. Right. I'd be even curious to look in Exodus, like, were the magicians able to pick up their staffs and turn them, that turn to snakes and turn back into staffs? I don't, I don't, I don't remember that one. I don't think they can ever restore back to the way it was. Right, yeah. right. And so that would be another thing there, yeah. right? Kind of yeah. reinforcing that point. Well, the good news is that we tried to tackle a three-hour topic in about seven minutes. So hopefully we, we hopefully we did it some justice, but I don't know that we did. But it's good to wrestle with, and I think it's good to, um, again, just dive deeper in the Word of God and, and meditate on it, because ultimately the goal is to know God more. So Well, and to keep your eye on Christ and not be deceived by anything that may look like Christ that is not Christ. Yeah, and again, Jesus warns, don't look for signs right. and wonders. Right. If you're looking for a sign and wonder, here's your sign that Jesus rose from the dead, right. basically. I'm exactly. paraphrasing there, but I think exactly. that's what we can't lose sight of. Yep, that's true. 
All right, that's a good word to finish on. Next week, if you're looking to read ahead, you have 48 verses to read, and I have 48 verses to study. So pray for me, please. And I would encourage you to be praying as well that God would help you to understand what's going on in Acts 10. It's a great, important passage, one of the most important turning points in the history of the church. So good for us, right? Um, and it, it is good news for us as and, Gentiles, for sure. And all bacon lovers everywhere. That's true. Amen. All right, well, uh, it's good to finish on a note about bacon. I hope you have a good <laughs> week, and we'll catch you next week.